Welcome on in a Wednesday Locked On Syracuse podcast. Off a win. Good to be here off a win. It's been a little bit. Syracuse with a convincing win over Pittsburgh. We'll talk about our takeaways from the game, get into Jim Beheim's rotations because there was some interesting stuff there, and a whole lot more on our Wednesday recap podcast. You are Locked On Syracuse, your daily podcast on the Syracuse Orange, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thank you for making Locked on Syracuse your first listen every single weekday. We are here with you guys, only place for daily SU pods. Today's episode brought to you by NetSuite. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system to power your growth. Head to netsuite.com slash locked on NCAA for special end of the year financing on the number one financial system for growing businesses. Tim Leonard, Tyler Aki here after a 77-61 victory. For the orange, only led by one at the half, but some encouraging stuff in the second half, right, Ty? Like they yeah. came together defensively, and we thought they were going to beat Pitt pretty easily. It was a little bit tight at times, but I think the second half sort of panned out the way I thought. Yeah, th- again, this result is exactly what you were expecting. What did we say? We said blowout or bust, right? Kind of for for this game, and and they blew them out. All right, maybe. It wasn't the, I mean, to, to use the golf analogies, like there's no pictures on the scorecard necessarily. I guess there's kind of is when you see it's only a one point lead at the half because that, that I guess goes in the box score. But this is the type of win you needed at home, kind of get your groove back. I mean, it's your first win in two weeks. I mean, you want to know all the things that have happened in two weeks? I mean, it's been a new year. Um, people weren't tweeting their Wordle scores out uh, on Twitter um brian flores was still the head coach of the the miami dolphins like lots happened in two weeks yeah the brian flores one i i still can't get over that happened on monday we're talking wednesday morning i that's nfl talk but yeah still beside myself he might be hired by the time syracuse wins their next game he might have a a new team (laughs) he should be honestly someone should grab him your chicago bears should grab him. yeah honestly they've got an interview they've got an interview yeah well it's interesting because it felt about as dead as a recent Syracuse basketball oh, game man. has felt. I mean, I, I wasn't in the dome, uh, but just hearing the dome, seeing it on TV. <laughs> You're in the majority was, of people. People weren't in the dome. like Yeah. Well, it's the perfect storm because it's a weekday game, mm-hmm. and it's also falls where it's Pittsburgh, but also Syracuse is on a three-game losing streak. Then the weather there was about as cold as it's been in a long time in Syracuse. It was cold everywhere yesterday, but I believe that had to affect people's desire to get up and go to the game. Mm -hmm. And then you also have the COVID stuff. That's still sort of a thing. I mean, it is a thing and Mm -hmm. I don't know how much it's affecting guidelines of the game. I think you're back to drinking beers in stands. Some fans that were there can probably attest to it better than me, but it's just a perfect storm. Like I don't know how many people were there campus either. That doesn't help. Right. That's another point. Yeah. I just, it was as dead as I've seen a dome game watching from TV. And honestly, probably if you were to take all the people that have ever listened to our podcast, I would say the lowest percentage of those people watching a game, right? Like there were a lot of people that are just like tweeting us. Yeah. I didn't even really watch like, yeah. Worst a lot of people said, oh, I'll get to it later. That that was, yeah. I think the, the big tweet that we got like, oh, oh, I'll get to it later because there wasn't a lot of juice. And even when you're watching the game, like Syracuse was playing really well in the second half. All right. We can't take that away. They, they played really well in the second half. Yep. They're hitting shots, played great defense. I think that's another theme that we can talk about a little bit later, but 
The defense was good. I know it's Pitt, but the defense has now played pretty well in, in what, three straight games? And it's like, uh, I don't care. I really di it didn't feel like there was any sort of juice behind this game. And it sucks that we're at that point and it's only mid-January. But we're already at that point where it's like, uh, congrats. Right. No, I'm glad you brought that up. I think the defense is actually like pretty solid right now. <laughs> I know that sounds weird to say because you look at the Ken Palm metrics and everything, but they are sort of rounding a corner in my opinion. It was Pittsburgh. I'm not going to go crazy. And the first half wasn't great, definitely. But then they come out in the second half. It took Pitt about nine minutes and like 15 seconds to hit its first field goal of the second half. Part of that is Pittsburgh, but also mm -hmm. Jim Beheim was asked about it postgame. And he said, this is the first time that we've won a game because of our defense all season. And he also said that that second half was the best they played all season. And he said something like, it isn't really that close, honestly. Like, that's yeah. by far the best we played. So it's easy to do that against Pittsburgh compared to some of the other teams in your conference this year. But I said this before the Pittsburgh game. They're going to go on a run here, I think. I think this is the start of maybe three or four wins in a row. I guess you got Duke and after you play Florida State and Clemson. So that's going to be a tough game on the road. But I would highlight that Duke game as a very likely scenario as they're going into that game on a three-game winning streak, and that is sort of the last-ditch effort to try and get yourself back into NCAA tournament conversation. Now, you always have the ACC tournament, so mm -hmm. the more momentum you build going into that, the better. But I really think this team has played solid in the last three games. It's just they were so far behind the eight ball. Yeah, and listen, after that Duke game, you're teeing yourself up for potentially five more wins. After that, like Ken Palm's projecting five straight wins after the Duke game, too. So if you can take care of business against Florida State and Clemson, again, those won't be easy wins, but no. those are yeah. at home at least. Okay. It certainly helps you out in that regard. Then after that Duke game, you've got five extremely winnable games. Extremely winnable games. We're talking about a team that wins eight of eight of nine. All of a sudden, you're kind of back in the thick of things. You're at least competing for a higher seed in the ACC. And it, it, that's all you got to do. Make your path as easy as possible in the ACC tournament because if you rattle off a couple of wins, who knows? Who knows what happens? But right now, I mean, it's just kind of a game-by-game -game thing. Take care of business against Florida State Saturday. Take care of business against Clemson. You got to protect your home court. You have to. Right. That's why that Virginia loss really stings because if you could go out there, like what was the thing that we said, all of the, the non-con? They played four of their 10 games at home mm -hmm. in the non-con. And that's the fewest they had ever played in the Jim Beheim era. I guess they tacked on the two more against uh, Brown and Cornell, but four of their first 10 at home in the non-con is the fewest ever under Jim Beheim that they have played through their first 10 games at home. So that's something that was kind of the saving grace is maybe you get back in the dome and you start doing some things, figure some things out. But hopefully this is the start of it. Hopefully you're starting to figure some things out defensively. I do think they are. And you know, Jim Beheim did say something about in his postgame press conference about the last two games to the effect of we played really well on the road. We played really well against Miami and we played really well against Wake. And those are just good teams. Really well is relative. Maybe he played they played really well for this iteration of Syracuse basketball. Yeah, I could maybe get behind that. But they still weren't playing like a really good basketball team. If you in played road really games. well in back to back games. You're winning one of them. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. And you his whole point was, but you're winning one of them. 
his whole point, which I agree with for the most part, is you can still play well and then just not inbound the ball at the end and lose the game. And yeah. that could mean that you're trending in the right direction, which is what I said on the most recent podcast, I think, is how this team, despite losing those two games, it, it those two games weren't the problem. Like, if you would have told me they went on the road and lost to a good Miami team by one and a solid Wake Forest team in overtime, that's fine. That that can happen in ACC play, where you just go on a road trip and you don't come away with a win and you play pretty tight and you lose two close games. It's the games before that that caused all the frustration, the fact that they needed those wins so badly. But I wouldn't say they played really well, but I would say that these last three games, I'm excluding Virginia because I thought the Virginia defense was terrible. To give up 74 mm. points to Virginia is laughable. Yeah. I mean, they don't score 50-60 against most teams. So outside of that game, since then, they played like not a tournament team, but a solid ACC team. And yeah. the problem is they need to play like a great team the rest of the way to even get in the NCAA tournament conversation. It's probably their best three-game stretch of the year so far. Yeah. Which it sucks because you're one and two in that stretch. And I get you're on the road for two of those games, but a, a blowout victory against Pitt and then tight losses against Wake Forest in Miami. Your best three-game stretch, you need to be two and one, three and oh. And especially with the desperation that this team needs to play with now. They need to be probably more three and oh than two and one in those stretches. But when you're one and two, like it's really tough to dig yourself out when when you're already in a hole and you're playing your best basketball, yet it's only leading to one win over a three-game stretch. Right. We'll get into one of the weird things from this game, which was seeing John Bullock come out for a little bit in the first half, some of the interesting rotations and lineups that Jim Beheim did. But it is the new year, so that means New Year's resolutions. If yours is about getting fit or eating healthier, make sure you include Bilt Bar in your plan. Bilt Bar is the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar, maybe even better than a candy bar. Bilt Bar makes it easier to stick to your resolution because it tastes so good, you'll want to eat it. Unlike other protein bars, which can be chalky or waxy or taste like a chemical spill, Built Bars are covered in 100% real chocolate. Most Built Bars contain 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. Compare that to a candy bar, which usually has around 240 calories, 30 grams of sugar, and dozens of net carbs. So it is somehow as tasty as a candy bar but a lot better for you. You can go to built.com, use promo code LOCKED15, get 15% off your order. Again, use promo code LOCKED15. That's LOCKED, the number one five for 15% off at built.com. Hey, Syracuse fans, we've got an incredible app that everyone who buys gas needs to know about. It's called Get Upside. Our listeners are making up to 25 cents per gallon at the tank for every time they fill up just download the free get upside app in the app store or google play right now and use the promo code score and get a bonus 25 cents per gallon on your first fill up that's up to 50 cents cash back so don't pay full price at the pump anymore get cash back using get upside just download the app for free and use promo code score to get up to 50 cents per gallon cash back on your first tank some people who drive a lot are making as much as two to even three hundred dollars a month in cash back and there's no catch to it the cash gets right to your account, and you can cash out at any time to your bank account, PayPal, or e-gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free GetUpside app and use promo code SCORE to get up to $0.50 cents per gallon cash back on your first tank. That's promo code SCORE.
So at the end of the first half in this game, Syracuse starts to lose the lead. Pitt goes on a 13-0 run. They get up by seven. And we see Jim Beheim go even deeper into his bench for the first time in a while. He used nine guys in the first half, which feels like there must be a meteor coming towards Earth or something, if, that, if yeah. that's the case. Just shocking to see, but I liked it. And John Boljock comes in. He plays the forward spot. Frank Anselm was out there at the center spot. Samir Torrance was out there. So it was a pretty bench-heavy lineup. I know you tweeted some stuff, and you probably disagree based on what I saw from your tweeting about how John Bull played, but I thought John Bull provided a little bit of a spark. I thought he was pretty solid out there, and I'd honestly be all for seeing it again. He had the $4 trillion in this game, so shout out Mark Titus. Mm-hmm. Um, for, for, for those who don't know, four minutes, no stats across the board, and it's not the worst thing in the world when you play four minutes. Um, my, my problem with him was this, okay? He didn't seem like he was in the right spots at the right time, he was very like heavy footed. You could tell, you could tell he hadn't been out there in, in quite some time and played basketball in a meaningful setting in, in quite a while. And just the way that he was sort of moving around out there on the floor didn't inspire a lot of confidence, but I don't blame Jim Beheim for trying it. Right. Like we're at the point in the season where you got to try some things out and make things work. My, here's another issue that I had with it. Okay. Is Lee. Like I thought when he was when I saw John Bull go to the the scorers table, I thought to myself, okay, he's going to come in for Frank right now. Right. And then he comes in for Benny. And I thought to myself, what the hell is this going to look like offensively? You're going to have Frank and John Bull who basically have to sit in the same spot offensively create a log jam there. I believe Torrance was on the floor too. Yep. So you effectively mm-hmm. take away his one gift of getting to the basket because he can't do it. He can't shoot the ball. So he has to get into the paint. So you've got three guys who pretty much are going to be relying on a five, five square foot area on the floor. Like you've got five guys who can only operate out of that area. Cause Frank was also in the game at the time too. And I thought Frank played really well in this game, by the way. Um, I did. Yeah, I agree. So you've got three guys offensively that rely on a five square foot area on the floor. I, I just don't like that offensively. And I get you needed to pick up the defense. Okay. I get that. But to me, I, it, it just struck me as odd as how is this going to work offensively? So I think the counter to that is taking out Benny does not, he doesn't give you much offensively right now. Sadly, he has more potential than John Bull. He's going to be a better Mm -hmm. offensive player one day than John Bull, but not right now necessarily. And John Bull moves around a ton on offense, like watching back the game, he's constantly setting screens. So I don't think he was stuck in a five foot area as much as Benny probably would have been where I will say this, he's just kind of sitting in the corner. He was hitting guys. John Bull is one of those guys. Like he comes off the bench and he wants to be physical. Right. Yeah. Like I, I'm almost surprised he didn't pick up a foul. And I wouldn't have even been mad if he picked up a foul because it would have been one of those light of fire under your ass's fouls. Um, I don't know how much we're going to see John Bull the rest of the way, but the four minutes here, fine. All right. Try something out. At least it seems try, like, yeah. listen, I don't think John Bull made an impact on this game whatsoever in terms of when he was on the floor, but I think he made an impact in terms of the mentality of everyone else. And I think just seeing that J- Jim Beheim had to, dig as deep into his bench as he did to go get John Bull to find some sort of spark on this team, sort of lit a fire under everyone else saying, all right, he's getting minutes. I got to step up my game. Maybe. And it is interesting because 
hearing the SU radio crew beforehand, Matt Park, Coach Sadlin, they talked about how they went to practice yesterday, and it was pretty clear, they said, from leaving that practice that John Bull was going to get some run in the game. So I, I don't know if it was necessarily the way the game transpired as much as Jim Beheim set out going to the game to play John Bull. They also said the Barama looks pretty good in practice, too. And that's what Jim Beheim said post game. He said John Bulls had some really good practices for us, and he thought he was active out there, and he thought he did a pretty good job. And he did compliment Frank and Simon Torrance as well. It was sort of a weird lineup, I agree, to throw him out there with, but it worked. And when that lineup was out there, they started to sort of take back control of the game right before the end of the half. So I think you got to give John Bull some credit. I really thought his defense, he was pretty active and he got in the right spots rotation wise. And I'd be all for throwing him back out at the forward spot again, not every situation, but the defense that he provided, I think is useful down the stretch, almost maybe kind of like what we saw Robert Braswell do a little bit where he comes out there and is at least changing things up and setting some screens and making the right reads on defense. Yeah. I think, John Bull's performance was a little more of a don't excuse activity for achievement just because you're moving around doesn't necessarily mean you're doing a lot of good things out there. I do think, though, Frank's defense elevated to a new level when he was out there. Um, and Frank, I think, really, he played a really outstanding game in this one. He had yeah. what, he ended up playing seven minutes in this game, probably could have played a little bit more. But I was surprised early on because of what we saw against Wake Forest when – Jimmy Beheim was slotted as the five when whenever Jesse came out and Jesse came out early in this game. And what do you know, right away, it was actually Frank that got the minutes at the five instead of Jimmy Beheim. So I thought that was a welcome surprise. And Frank went out there and I thought played pretty well, had three rebounds in this game. Also, um, he had a steal, but I think it was more of a block than a steal. Um, so I, I like the minutes that they got out of Frank Anselm. I, I think he put, listen, we need to see a little bit more offensively because Jesse provided another solid offensive performance in this game. But I, I need to see a little more offensively. But defensively, I'm liking what I'm seeing out of Frank. I think it's, it's going to start to warrant more of a double-digit sort of minutes output from him game to game. Now, that was really encouraging because he needed a good game, frankly. Yeah. He didn't play, I don't think, at all against Miami. Then he came out against Wake Forest and I thought had one of his weaker performances yeah. of the season in limited time. But he follows it up with probably what was his best performance. Maybe Georgetown was another game. He also had some big moments against Indiana that swayed the game more than this particular game. But if you're just looking at stretches on the court and how he played, yeah. I think this was the best he's looked in a Syracuse uniform. Probably. Yeah, it's this in Georgetown. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, and Jesse fouled out again, which is amazing because yeah. he did the thing where he had one foul at halftime and really one foul into the second half a little bit. I was monitoring the prop shop and I took the under on four fouls and I was ready to put it in <laughs> green and, and give myself the win, but I, I should know better. He's he's fouled it's, out of every ACC game impeccable. now, five for five. I mean, I don't get it. I really don't. How how do you pick up four fouls and especially when you've got Hughley on the other side, who was in foul trouble himself? I mean, he had what yeah. four with like twelve minutes to play, and he ends up mm -hmm. not fouling out. And I, <laughs> it's like once he picks up three, he's a guarantee to pick up four, and then it's just a matter of whether or not he picks up five. Because yeah. it, it almost comes in rapid succession here. Here, I'm actually going to go to the box score, like the little play-by-play -play here, and, and see, like, the... They were bang, the bang, bang, it felt like. Uh, like, wh where they, in succession, they come, because 
it is egregious at this point. So he, he picked up, actually, he had zero at the half. He had zero, not one. He had zero wow. at the half. I'm starting to look at it right now. Um, he picks the first one up at 1928. Then he picks two, three, four up from the 830, 843 to 526 mark in the half. <laughs> 843 left. He had one foul. That's nuts. And he fouls out. And he fouls out. That, Gosh. It's got to be better. And you can say it's ticky tack, whatever. Like, it's got to be. A couple of them better. were by bad the way, calls. Yeah. And by the way, so you know how I said he picks up three. He's a guarantee to pick up four. He picks up three at 541. He picks up four at 526. 15 seconds. And you go from three fouls. Like, you just have to be smarter and not touch someone at that point. I, I yeah. get that some are bad calls. I get that. But at a certain point, you got to know that just based on your stature, more bad calls are going to come against you than good calls, especially on the defensive side of the ball. You just got to lay off. You got to lay off. Right. You got to know that your presence is worth more than two points. It's worth more than two points. Yeah, and that was something we highlighted in the preview podcast, how Pitt does. The one thing they do is gets to the foul line and gets a lot of fouls drawn on them. And Syracuse was in foul trouble in this game. Joe Girard had four mm -hmm. fouls at a pretty early stage of the second half. Yeah. and missed a good amount of time. Jimmy had four. And now it's nine of 15 games this year. Jesse has fouled out. I think nine of they played 16, so that might be off slightly. But I believe he's fouled out nine times looking through it. And then all five ACC games he has fouled out, which this one was a little less meaningful but he still fouled out which is pretty amazing so all right we're going to get into benny williams and his lack of minutes in just a second also talk any other leftover thoughts we have on this win for syracuse but this is it the putt to win the tournament if you sink it the championship is yours but on your backswing your hat falls over your eyes is this how you want to be running your business poor visibility because you're still relying on spreadsheets and outdated finance software to see the full picture you need to upgrade to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system to power your growth, got visibility and control of your financials, inventory, HR planning, budgeting, and more. Over 28,000 businesses already use NetSuite for the new year. NetSuite has a new financing program for those ready to upgrade at netsuite.com slash locked. Head to netsuite.com slash locked for the special one-of-a-kind financing offer on the number one financial system for growing businesses, netsuite.com slash lock to learn more about NetSuite. So Benny Williams plays three, four minutes in this game. I can't remember the exact yeah, total. Four minutes. It was not enough is, right. is the bottom line. I think you would agree. Like he didn't look great in the first half. Then they went to John Bull and Jim Beheim talked about a post game, how Benny's just not there right now. And John Bull has been the better forward in practice. And that's why, he wanted to get John Bull some run, but like second half when the game's out of reach, Jim, why not put him in there? I guess Cole Swider needs to get better too, but for me, Benny is the key to our season necessarily. He's the guy that we haven't unlocked that maybe we could unlock, and I'm not saying it's going to happen, but at least try and at least give him some minutes. I don't think I'm as mad as most Syracuse fans after this one with the with the minutes uh, for, for Benny, and, and here's why. Because... This is a game you had to have, right? And we've seen some second-half collapses. And what's one of the things that we say oftentimes about Joe Girard? If the defense is playing well and Girard is out there, there's no reason necessarily to put in Samir Torrance. If Joe is taking care of the basketball and the defense is playing well, leave Joe out there because he brings an offensive dimension that simply Samir doesn't. 
And when the defense is playing well and you're as a team playing well and you got to have the game and you've been prone to some second half collapses, leave it as it is. If it ain't broke, don't fix it to me is kind of what, what Jim ran with here. And I don't mind that because at the end of the day, you're still sort of playing for wins and losses to a degree. Now, at the end, maybe he should have gotten the final like three, four minutes right. of action Definitely here. then. But yeah. I'm not as mad as most Syracuse fans because if everything was working out there, stick with it, okay? It was what was building you your big lead in this game. So I'm not as mad as most Syracuse. Listen, I, I want to see Benny Williams on the floor as much as the next person does, all right? I'm the one who's banging the drum on pretty much every single recap show saying, why wasn't Benny in here? Why wasn't Benny in there? But it was mostly because Syracuse was struggling in those instances, and I feel like putting him in would have provided some sort of a spark. I don't think that this team got a spark without Benny out there. So I don't necessarily see the the reason for him to be put in for some of this. I'm not as like, I'm if you showed me this box score before the game and, and this is what I saw, I saw Benny Williams played four minutes and Syracuse won by 16. I would have been very puzzled, but after the game, seeing how everything sort of played out, I'm not as, I'm not as frustrated. I'm, I'm really not. Yeah. Two things on that one. I don't necessarily think that Cole Swider was the reason why they were winning this individual game, at least. So I'm okay with taking away. I mean, Cole played 38 minutes. He goes four for 10. He has 10 points. Some of those were he had a couple baseline jumpers towards the end of the game, which is becoming kind of his move. But I think anyone that watched this game pretty closely would say Cole Swider didn't necessarily have his best game. Yeah. And he's still getting 38 minutes and Benny's getting three. Like to me, that's where it's like, Just bring in Benny. I know Benny isn't playing well enough to deserve 20, 25 minutes, and it's just sort of puzzling because he's coming off a game where there was overtime in it, but he did play 24 minutes in a season high. coming off back-to-back really good games. Yeah, and he was out there for three minutes. He made a head-scratchy play on offense where he lost the ball as he went up, and he's just not not moving without the ball on offense because it feels like he doesn't really know how to contribute when he's relegated to a spot up shooter and he's better with the ball in his hands. And that's not going to happen right now this season, at least, but I don't know. I mean, why not give him some run towards the end of the game, especially when it was like eight minutes left, seven minutes left and Cole Swider still out there, just not really providing a whole lot. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm still like everything was sort of working out there in tandem. Now I will say one thing about Cole Swider is this was a, a to me, Maybe Cole's worst game, if if not, it's in the definitely in the team photo of worst games here. Just because usually when you see Cole struggling from three, as he did in this game, 0 for 4, you'll see a high rebound total. Like, it's at 8. It's at 7, right? Or he'll have, like, 6 assists. He'll find other ways to impact the game. That was not this game. He had 2 rebounds, 3 assists. And that's that's just not the Cole Swider performance that we're used to seeing when he is struggling. And to me, that's why, okay, maybe it would have warranted putting Benny in right there. But if everything was going well and why mess with a good thing, you, you were beating Pitt, you were starting to get a little bit of a run going on him, And there to me really was no reason to mess with it. Yeah. Cole Swider, I really want him to be good because he came on our podcast and he was such a great guest. And I don't think he's been like a terrible basketball player out there, but he just hasn't gotten to the point he hasn't taken a next step since his career at Villanova to me it's people sort of want to they've got an expectation set for him right right which is pretty high I think it's yeah it's pretty lofty right and then there's also people who think that 
he shouldn't even be getting any minutes on this team. Neither of those ends of the spectrum are true. It meets somewhere in the middle. He's not an awful basketball player, but he's certainly not played like a great guy out there as well. He hasn't come close to living up to the expectations that were set out for him. So, yeah, it, it meets somewhere in the middle on that spectrum there. But, yeah, this is certainly not a good one for him. It's kind of like Gerard, where if he's playing 38 minutes and he's a starter for you, you're probably not like an NCAA tournament threat or a Sweet 16 level team. But that doesn't mean he's a bad basketball player. Like right. everyone rags on Gerard, and I do think we've done it a little bit at times too. But the Gerard Torrance conversation that keeps happening, like we got to see a good chunk of Torrance in this game because Gerard got in foul trouble. Torrance was fine, but I don't see why people want an yeah. yeah, I don't I don't want an even minute split like no. 20 and 20 no, 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 with no, no, Gerard no. and Torrance. And people are arguing that, and then you stop and think. Let's not forget, Joe Girard has been bad at times this year. He's had some bad mm -hmm. performances. We've been some of the first two people to point that out. But also, the guy is literally leading the ACC in three-point field goal percentage, yeah. right? Like, he's shooting I think it's 46%. Not even yeah, yeah. And like he's, he's on high volume. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like averaging of, 15 a game. I mean, he's in not terms that of, bad. <laughs> right. In terms of, like, three-point shooting, he is the best three-point shooter in the in the ACC, when you like you said, when you base it off of percentage as well as volume, they're like one of the best in the country. Honestly, yeah. honestly, yeah. no, you're right. <laughs> yeah, and he, here's how I view the the Joe Girard Samir Torrance situation here. Okay, it's like a pinch hitter in baseball. All right, there are certain times where you need to throw a lefty up there against a, a right-handed pitcher. I like this. All right? Yeah, and and that's what Samir Torrance is. He's that lefty against the righty in the seventh eighth inning. It's situational. Everything in terms of the substitutions between Joe Girard and Samir Torrance is situational. There are going to be games where Joe Girard should play 38 minutes and Samir Torrance should only play two. There are also games where, like this one, Joe Girard should play 28 minutes and Samir Torrance should play 12. It's all situational with their minutes split. It's not going to be a cookie-cutter thing game by game. It's going to be what the game throws at you. What's the game flow like? Obviously, you needed to throw Samir in this game because Joe Girard was picking up the fouls and he wasn't shooting great in this game. All right, throw throw Samir out there because you needed that lefty out there. I got it a lot more with Kadari. I totally understood yeah. why people were arguing for more minutes from Kadari because Kadari's a guy that can impact the game on offense as well, and we saw that in mm -hmm. his last game for Seton Hall especially. But for me... That's a great way of putting it. Like, Samir Torrance is just too limited offensively. In a perfect world, I would love to be able to put Joe at the two more. And I do think yeah. he plays out of position a little bit at point guard. And that's where we see his flaws come through. And I wish that we had Jalen Carey that panned out. Or we got Quade Green or whatever. Maybe or that's Kadari too stayed. Dated. And everyone yeah, bumped Kadari, up the Kadari was it. And, and that's the one that we probably really wish we had right now. And I get why that's just angering the fan base. And you're right. It's Kadari that... We really wish we had, but we don't have them. And given the state of the roster right now, I just don't see playing Simon Torrance 20 minutes. I'm sorry. Like there are people out there that are arguing for it and that don't get my side of view. And I guess we're never going to come to level playing ground here, but let's keep in mind, Joe Girard does some bad things, but he also just does a lot more good things offensively and is still contributing in some winning ways, non-offensively like passing the basketball, which is still offense, but not shooting that Simon Torrance is doing as well. Like Simon gets to the basket, but he misses every bunny 
and he's yeah. never going to score in double figures for you when Gerard scores 15 a game he's and a is shooting great. every single game. He's a threat every yeah. single game to get you 20 points. And for a team that can be very bereft of defensive of, of defensive talent, sometimes you need to score 90 to beat the team that's scoring 88 on you. And Joe Girard, while he's a big factor of why the other team's scoring 88, he's going to be a big right. factor of why you're scoring 90 too in some of these shootout sort of games. So, yeah, I'm with you. Like, Samir Torrance, it's game to game with him, okay? Like, anyone who's calling for, for 20 minutes of, of a split here, you're out of your mind. You're out of your mind. Yeah. Like, listen, he's a fine player. He's a situational bench player. He is – I think he's doing his role to perfection, all right? When he's called upon, go out there, play good defense, take he care of the basketball. He played well yesterday. I, yeah. I'm not on – he's just – he has a limited ceiling, and that's all right. we're saying. I'm, I'm with you. Yeah. Yeah. All right, well – I'm glad we went into that little rant there at the end. That was fun. But we'll uh, break here and then be back on tomorrow's show. We, I guess, should talk a little bit about Syracuse getting this Michigan transfer at quarterback, quarterback, which is sounds a little bit better than maybe it is, but yeah. we'll get into that on tomorrow's show. It's still good to see some competition coming to the quarterback room. We'll also dive into your Twitter thoughts. There's plenty to get to from the week, from the two games. So if you have you know anything what else we got to talk about? We got to talk about what you tweeted out too. the, the, the eyes Bowl. on CBB uh, with Norlander yeah. and who's it Norlander and Gary. Parish, yep. and Gary that Parish, was the next yeah. one I was going to bring up. We got to talk yep. about that poll because I, and if anyone hasn't voted yet, actually might've already run out, but go check it out and leave a comment if you want before our next podcast, because we'll read through some of the comments on that. But I basically said the question that was brought up on the Ion college basketball podcast, which was, if you're a Syracuse fan, would you rather have Jim Beheim for two or three more years or another new coach next season? And not like Jim Beheim fired, but that's just the scenario. You had to pick one. And he I haven't looked recently. On his own terms. Oh, yeah, he's, not, he's yeah. going out on his own terms, guys. But. Right. We know that. If you're rational, you know that. So uh, I don't know. The poll was like 50-50 last time. Yeah. I think it's an interesting question. We'll talk about that on tomorrow's show. Any other Twitter thoughts? Hit on that Michigan quarterback transfer and anything else that comes up. So we will be with you guys tomorrow on the show. Thanks for listening today, and we'll talk to you then. Oh.